You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Uh, good morning, everybody. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Jake Box, and I'm lead pastor in Midtown Church, and so glad that you're joining us here at Baker or uh, over Zoom. Uh, can you believe that we have now been doing uh, Zoom worship services for a year? You know, we've probably, uh, probably been talking about it this week with your, with your friends, like this was the like, one-year you know, anniversary of the shutdown. Have y'all been telling stories about what you were doing and kind of how that, that hit you? Like I think about that uh, a year ago and getting an email, actually from Josh Chevalier, a college pastor, sends an email Thursday night late that he just got word that AISD was shutting down schools on Friday, which meant that we wouldn't be able to gather for worship at Lee Elementary where we were meeting at the time that Sunday. And so then I spend that Friday and that Saturday just kind of scrambling, trying to figure out like, what are we going to do? Where are we going to meet on Sunday? And we, for a little while, we thought we were going to Ramsey Park. And then it was like, no, that's not happening. And we were, it's like, oh, crazy. And then in the midst of all of that craziness, uh, Chris and I, one of our good friends, was having a birthday party on that Saturday out at Jester King. And so we go out to Jester King at, to celebrate her, and the place is just packed with people. And so we're just hanging out out there, and, you know, the conversation is, hey, so like this this. COVID-19, this coronavirus, like, I guess, I guess it's a big deal. Is it a big deal? Like, what do you think we're going to be doing? Like, how long is this going to last? And like, what's funny is that, uh, that was a year ago. That's also the last time that I saw those good friends that we were there celebrating her birthday. It's the last time we saw, saw them together in person. It's been a whole year since then. And we had no idea, like, the, 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 the impact that COVID-19 was going to have on our lives and our society. I mean, we just way, way, or at least I could say, like, I just uh, I, I way undervalued the, 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 the impact it was going to have. I had, I had no idea. Here we are a year later. Now, this might feel like a weird uh, connection <laughs> to make, but I was thinking about that and how we just kind of had no, just such a limited understanding of the, of the change that COVID-19 was going to bring. And I was thinking about that in light of the sermon series that we started this past Sunday in Ephesians uh, chapter 417 through 520. It's kind of three-part series that we're doing right now. And in the series, we're talking about the change that Jesus brings. And I was just struck by, you know, I think that we make a real similar mistake when it comes to Jesus. That just how we, we completely undervalued or just missed the giant enormity of the impact that COVID-19 is going to have. I think that we really miss the enormity of the impact that Jesus has on our life. The change that Jesus brings to our lives when we place our faith in him. Or if you were to place your faith in him. I think that we just, we just have such a limited understanding of the impact that he has on us in the immediately when we put our faith in him and, that, and how it changes our lives. So, so we're in this series. And that's what we're going to be talking about. And the point of this series is just to help us see what a huge impact Jesus has, the change that Jesus brings to our lives. Because in this part of Ephesians, Paul is talking about, he kind of shifts gears. And we've been studying Ephesians all through the fall, if you remember. And we stopped for a little while because of Christmas and a couple other things. And then we pick back up in this section, this three-part, three-week series that we're doing. Because, and we carve this out because in this section, Paul really switches gears and gets really practical, having laid out, this is what Christ has done who he's made us, that's a big, big theme, the first three chapters of Ephesians. And then he says, now here's how to live. 
But here, right here, the hinge point, 417 through 520, he, he connects it very clearly that the way that our behaviors change is completely tied to the change that Jesus has brought first. That our change, our behavior changes on the basis of the change we've already experienced through Jesus, the impact that he has had on our life. And so that's what we're really trying to help us see because it's the, as you'll see in the series, this uh, message today, it's the basis, the basis of our change is all based on what Jesus has done. And then that's what leads to behavior change. So today we're going to be in uh, Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, we're going to, I mean, Ephesians chapter 4, sorry, uh, 20, uh, 25 through 5-2. And I will, so if you have your Bible or if you have phone, you want to go there, this would be a good time to do that. Um, let me give you a heads up as you do that. This section of, the, of uh, Ephesians I'm about to read, it's, just a, it's a list of things to do or not to do. There's a lot of like do this and don't do that or, or don't do this, instead do this. And so when you come to a list like this, Oftentimes, we have a common reaction, and that reaction is that we read something that we should be doing that we're not doing, or we read something that we're not doing that we realize, oh, I should be doing that, and, and something, something happens like this. We, this is common. We say, oh, man, I'm so bad. I've really got, I've really got to try harder. I've got to try harder. And our mentality, we might not say this, but our thinking is, I've got to try harder to become the kind of person God wants me to be. I've got to try harder to become the kind of person I want to be. That's a common reaction when we read lists like this. But let me tell you, friends, that's an unbiblical reaction. That's an unbiblical reaction. It's the common reaction, but it's not the right, according to God's word, not the right reaction. That instead, our reaction should lead us to reflecting on what Jesus has first done for us because he has changed us already. And then leaning on him, let him align our behaviors with who he has already made us. Now, that sounds a little bit abstract, so let's look at this passage, and I'll try to flesh it out for us. Here's what it says, verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to the needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. And be kind, be kind, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Okay, now, the very first word in today's passage, it's the word therefore, that is an extremely important word. For it points us back to the basis of a changed life. For you see, therefore connects the list of behaviors with what Paul had just said in the passage that we looked at last week. This specifically refers back to verse 24 of last week's passage where he says, put on the new self 
created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And as Justin taught last week, that reference, the new self, that's a reference to who you become when you place your faith in Christ. And see, this is a part of the radical change that Jesus brings into our lives that I just think that we really undervalue, that we just don't fully grasp. See, for when you place your faith in Christ, friends, at that moment, you are radically changed by Jesus in so many ways, including that you, uh, you change le- your, your, your legal status changes. You Legally, you change, meaning that we go from being uh, condemned, guilty in our sin to putting our faith in Christ so we become free, pardoned, forgiven, righteous. But that's only one part of it. Not only do you change legally, but you also change relationally. That your relational status with God completely changes. That we go from being slaves to sin to becoming the adopted and beloved children of God. It's a huge change. But it doesn't just stop there. That also we are changed inherently. And I think this is the one that we miss so often. That in this way, we change. As soon as you put your faith in Christ, you, you go from being a partaker of the wrath of God, Ephesians 2, to being partakers of the very nature of God. That in 2 Corinthians 5, it's so, so, such a big deal that he, he, Paul says, hey, you become a new creation. Or as we saw in Ephesians 4.24, to where this new creation is actually created to be like God, which is such a wild statement. And true holiness and righteousness. That you actually, your essence of who you are, your identity and your very nature changes. When you put your faith in Christ, when you're united with Christ, when you're in Christ, you change in all of those ways. And that's what the word therefore is pointing us back to. And again, friends, that is just so important for us to grasp because that is one of the main things that sets Christianity apart from all other world religions. So if you've ever done a survey of the major world religions, you'll know that uh, most of them have, uh, most of them teach a very similar moral code, you know, like things like don't lie, don't steal, Care for the poor, be wise in what you say, forgive people, like the things that we see in this list in Ephesians uh, 4. It's that kind of stuff. It's very similar. So what, what sets Christianity apart is not necessarily really our, our, our moral guidelines, but the basis that Christianity offers us to be able to live out those moral guidelines. See, for other religions teach you that you must adhere to a moral code in order to become something that you are not, to become enlightened or to become acceptable to God. But Christianity starts where all world religions hope to end. Christianity starts where all other world religions hope to end. See, Christianity begins with us being accepted by God and being changed, being made new by God at the moment that you put your faith in Christ. See, for the good news of Christian faith is that God accepts us not based on what we do, but based on what Jesus has done in our place 
for us. And that's radically different. And that means that as Christians, we do not obey God in order to be accepted by God. And we do not obey God in order to become something that we are not, like to be acceptable. Instead, we obey God because we are already accepted and because we have already been changed. In other words, Christians obey God on the basis of what God has already done for us in Christ and who he's already changed us into through Christ. And that, again, is what Paul, why Paul begins this list of do's and don'ts with the word, therefore. And we can't miss that. For he knows and he wants us to know that it, it's what Jesus has already done for us, the change that Jesus has already brought into our lives, that's the basis of behavior change. Now, let me show you kind of how that plays out, all right? So, uh, you know, take, you know, kind of the, here's the kind of second point of the message. She's the, how the basis of changed life leads to the behaviors of a changed life. And the way that I want you to, the way I'm going to want to try to help you see this is to take each one of these uh, statements that Paul makes and to show you how that behavior change it hinges upon or, or, or it comes from the basis of our change life, what Jesus has already done for us. And so you'll notice, and perhaps you notice, that these, uh, each of these statements in this passage kind of come as a form of couplets, like it's do this or don't do this, instead do this. That's kind of the, the flow. Don't do this, but instead do this. And then he gives a kind of a, a quick statement at the end, giving a reason why that's important for us to do that. And so we're going to look, look at those, and then we're going to follow up with the question, okay, but how do you actually do that? Okay? And so let's take the first one. What he says in verse 25, he says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we're all members of one body. Okay, so the instruction here is to put off falsehood, but that doesn't just mean don't tell lies. Now, certainly that's included in this statement, right? But it also speaks to just, don't, he's saying, don't live an inauthentic life. Don't, don't be fake. Don't put on a mask unless, you know, it's, it's for COVID's sake. That kind of mask is okay. But he said, you know, you got to put that off. Don't try to present yourself as if you are better than you actually are. Instead, speak truthfully. Be honest. Be authentic. Be genuine. Be real. Why? He says, because we're all members of one body. That we belong to each other. But lying and being fake and all that stuff, that actually robs us of intimacy and it erodes community and relationships. And so it works against who we really are. He says, don't do that. Put that off. Put this on. Put being authentic instead, which sounds great. We think, oh, yeah, I really want to be an authentic community. But then when you think about it, you're like, well, but, you know, there are reasons why I have a tendency of wanting to hide parts about me. I don't, like, there's a reason why I'm scared that if people really know what I'm like and what things I've done or whatever, then they're going to reject me. They're going to judge me. And so I, I'm going to put on a false front because I, I, I don't want to experience it. It's scary to be the real you. But if that's the case, then how in the world can you do this? How can we obey this command? Well, what enables us to do that is what Jesus has already done for us, friends. It's on the basis of the change that he has already brought. See, for Jesus, 
when you recognize that Jesus actually sees you as you are, warts and scars and secrets and hidden sins and all of that. He sees you exactly as you are, but his reaction, his response to you is not to condemn you, but to draw near to you. It's not to hold you at a distance, but to embrace you as you are. That he accepts you. That when you see that that's how he, God, has responded to you. When he knows you inside and out. Then you say, okay. Well, if the one whose opinion matters most, you know, God's opinion of me, if he says that he sees me as I am and he draws near to me, then that actually gives me confidence, security to risk being seen by others. And they might reject you. I hope they don't, but they might. But he never will. And when you know that that's what he's done for you, then it gives you the ability to risk, which also gives you the ability to experience true community as we were meant to. See, it's all based on what he has already done for you. So friends, let me ask, are you, are you hiding? Are you being fake? Put that off. Put on being genuine with your neighbor because we belong to each other. And here's how. Go to Jesus. Rejoice in his acceptance of you. Rejoice in his embrace. He knows you fully and he loves you fully. And rejoice in that. And then allow that to lead you, to fill you with confidence and security so that you can be genuine with others. It's the basis of the change, what he has already done for you that leads to the behavior change. Okay, second thing. Next thing Paul says here is, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Now, this is a bit of a, a, a confusing instruction. For the command here is not, do not be angry. It's that the command is, do not sin in your anger. See, anger in this sense is not a sin. Ang- anger is an emotional response whenever you see or experience injustice. However, when you feel angry, it's really hard not to sin, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, there are so many different ways that we sin whenever we do get angry. And so Paul says, okay, be careful. Be careful. Don't sin when you become angry. And then he gives us some examples of, of how not to do, like what that means. Like, well, how do you sin when you get angry? He says, one of the things, you, you can't let it, you can't harbor it. You can't hang on to it. You can't let it simmer. That's when he says, okay, don't let the sun go down on your anger, which is a figurative, that's, that's not literal, but it's figurative. But it's, it carries with it the idea that it's dangerous for you to hang on to your sin. It's dangerous for you. It's dangerous for others. It's, actually, it's dangerous because it gives the devil, the enemy, a foothold in your life. He says, don't do that. Then also in verse 31, he gives a lot more examples of ways that we sin whenever we get angry. He says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice, meaning ill will. He says, these are all things that happen when you're angry. Like, you just got to give in to these kind of actions. He says, get rid of that. Think, okay, well, (laughs) how? (laughs) Right? He says, well, this is what you need to put on instead. Instead, I want, I want you to uh, be kind, <laughs> be kind and compassionate. 
to one another, forgiving each other. He says, well, why am I supposed to do that? Because these are the attitudes of God. The other stuff, when you're angry and and that leads to these other actions, that's not what God's like. And so you were, your new self is created to be like God. Ephesians 4.24. And so he says, okay, the, the, the malice and, the, and the, you know, all of the, the brawling, all that kind of stuff. It's like, no, 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 that's not what God's like. So don't do that. Put that off. Put on this kindness and compassion and forgiving. That's what God's like. Again, you say, okay, man, I, that sounds like a really great list of, of ways to live. Like I, I'm all for being kind and compassionate and not getting all angry and hanging, you know, all that stuff. Uh, but how? How do you do that? You just stop? I mean, I wish it was that easy, but good friends, like if you've ever really been hurt by someone, you've ever really experienced injustice, or you've seen it. Like, if, like I've, had, I've had friends, I've had, I've had people who have really, really hurt me. Have betrayed me. And I know it is not easy to choose to forgive them. You know what's easy? Hanging on to anger. And you know what? I can, I can like, sometimes I can, I can choose to forgive. But you know what's way, way, way harder? Be kind. Be kind to them? Come on. How do you do that? The basis of our behavior change is what Jesus has done for us, which is what Paul points to at the end of that verse, verse 32. And he says, again, read the whole thing. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ, just as in Christ, God forgave you. See, when you recognize the way that God has forgiven you, and when I think about the ways that God has forgiven me, the ways that I have sinned against God, and what it cost God to forgive me, that Jesus went so far out of his way, leaving heaven, leaving all that was rightfully his. The privileges of deity, as Philippians 2 says, and he lays that aside to come to earth to be a servant, to die in my place, to be forsaken by the Father so that I could be forgiven. That when that is, when I, is what is on my mind, that I am thinking about how I have been forgiven. Friends, you know what that does? It softens me. It humbles me. It moves me. And I find that in remembering how Jesus has treated me, I can move out and forgive others. And when I think about how kind Jesus has been to me, it moves me to be kind to others. See, the basis of our behavior change is what Jesus has already done for us. Friends, are you holding on to anger? Are you refusing to forgive? Are you refusing to be kind or compassionate to others who have wronged you? Go to Jesus. Rejoice in his forgiveness and his kindness towards you. Meditate on that. Renew your mind. Think on those things. And then let him change you on the basis of what he has first done for you so that you can go and do likewise.
Third thing, Paul says, verse 28, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Okay, now the, the second part of this couplet tips us off that Paul is after more than just not stealing from others, but don't steal, friends. Don't, don't steal, okay? But this is more than that. It's, it's saying, don't, don't just, don't be a taker, you know? Don't use people. Don't take advantage of others. Instead, work or do something useful with, with your hands. So why? So you can be generous. So you can be a blessing to others. That's the instruction here. This is, this is a great description of, of Christian ethics right here. Because it, it's not just, hey, God doesn't want us to steal from others or take from others. And he doesn't just want you to work so you can take care of yourself. But he wants you to work so that you can meet the needs of others. And I don't know about you, but that last idea I, is the part that I find really, really challenging. Okay? I'm, a, I'm pretty good with not stealing. And, and I'm good at working hard. To, to, but I want the, what I earn, I would like to be able to just keep that for myself. Right? Why, why do I got to be generous? Why do I got to do, like, give away to meet others' needs? Man, that, that part, whew, that, that part is where it gets hard to me. How do you do that? How do you grow in generosity? Well, same thing. What enables us to change in that way is seeing what Jesus has already done for us. We go back to what he's already done. That's the basis of our behavior change. For you see, when we were in need, when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, unable to save ourselves, Jesus came to us. And he labored in our place, dying on the cross, paying the debt of our sins so that in him, we can be forgiven and made new, ransomed and set free. 2 Corinthians 89 says that, look, look, see Jesus, who though he was rich became poor on your behalf so that through his poverty we may be made rich. That we have received in him forgiveness and, and, and adopted into the family of God and our nature's changed and we're a new creation. Like these are all the things that we've really been given because of how he has labored on our behalf. His generosity to us has changed our lives. And when you reflect on that, you think, God, you've been so generous to me. And if you would not hold back your own son for me, then certainly you're going to give me what I need. And so that frees me to be able to give away some of what I have to others that I become an instrument by which God meets their needs. All of that flows out of the basis of what Jesus has first done for us. Because all of these are examples of what John says in 1 John 4. When he says, okay, we love because he first loved us. Now, all of these are just ways that we love. And all of these examples come, or all of these attitudes, behaviors come first and foremost from what he has done for us. That's the basis of our behavior change. It's not, oh, let me just try harder so I can become someone that I'm not. No, 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 no. Rejoice. Rejoice in what God has already done for you in Christ. And as it comes home to our hearts and our minds are renewed, then we say, okay, no, 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 no. Now, now I recognize I actually want to do this because of what's been first done for me. Last thing here. Then he, uh, Paul says, okay, 
Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Now, <laughs> let me just, the, the, it's so funny to me that this is the question that comes to people's mind, but when you read this, it's like, okay, does that mean I can't say any cuss words ever? Like, no, no cuss words? And um, let, me, let me just say, uh, I don't know. Maybe in the right context around the right people that you know it's not going to be offensive and it's not done in an offensive way that actually leads to them being built up because you said that word. Maybe you got to work that out with the spirit. But here's what I know. That's not the normal way that we use cuss words. And so for me personally, I find that like what I say, when I'm just free to say anything I want, including cuss words, I'm way looser with, with what I say in all the other areas. And that ends up with me cutting others down or saying things that don't build others up. And so I try to be super guarded with that. Okay. But certainly what Paul has to say here about no unwholesome speech, that is definitely broader than just certain four-letter words, right? I mean, anything about cutting people down, think about sarcasm, biting sarcasm. You, you think about calling names and labeling and like in a way to try to push people down, to belittle them or to say that they're unimportant. Like all of these words. Like, you know what? Paul says, hey, put that off because that's not what God is like. That's not what God is like. Aren't we glad that's not what God is like? He says, no, no, use your words to build people up. May, it, may what we say be beneficial to those who listen in. Because that's what God is like. I don't like this command. Because after this, you know what it says? Go to the next verse. Verse 30, it, he adds this line. He says, it, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And, and again, if you follow the flow, it's these couplets. It's don't, it's don't do this, do this, and here's why. And in this statement, this is what follows. is because what we say can grieve the Spirit of God. You know what that means, friends? It means that God really cares about what comes out of our mouths. Like it really matters to him the words that we say. To the point that when we use our words to tear others down, when we have unwholesome, spe unwholesome speech, it grieves God. It grieves the Holy Spirit, the third person in the Trinity. And just by the way, this, is, this, is a, this helps us see that the third person in the Trinity, the Spirit, which is the one, like, feels like the most abstract part of the Trinity, right? Is, 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 it speaks to his personhood. He has feelings. You know why he grieves him? Whenever we say words that tear others down, it's because it works against what he's trying to do in our lives. You know what the Spirit's trying to do in our lives? He's trying to transform our behaviors to match our identity, our true nature in Christ. He's trying to help us become who we really are in Christ. This is what he's doing in our lives. And when we are talking in a way that is opposite of what God is like, it saddens him because it's the opposite of what he's wanting to see and what he's trying to bring about. So, watch what you say. Tame your tongue. 
But you read in James too, you, you, you read in James, you think, oh wait, wait that, isn't that super hard to do? Yes, we all know that's super hard to do, taming our tongue. How do we do that? <laughs> On the basis of what Jesus has already done for us. Because what has Jesus done for us, friends? He dies for us. You know why he comes and dies for us? Because the Father sent the Son. And the Son gives his life for us. And then he rises again. And you know what he does after he, rises, after he raises from the dead? You know what he does? He says, to the Spirit, he says to his disciples, Now I'm going to give you my Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And the Son sends the Spirit to us so that now anyone who puts your faith in Christ at that moment is indwelt by the very Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you that you, as according to Ephesians 1 says, are sealed in the Spirit. This is amazing that because of what Jesus has done, you now receive the Spirit. And you know what the Spirit of God can do? He can give you the power to tame your tongue. Because he's God, right? And we have God with us because of what Jesus has done. And so we rejoice in that. We celebrate that. And then we lean into that to say, Spirit, help me in this area. I can't do it on my own. We don't have to do it on our own. Next week, Matt's going to teach the second, uh, or the Ephesians 5, 1 through 20 for us. And in there, he's going to draw out even more of how the Spirit's role uh, the role the Spirit plays in our and how we're changed. So come back for that. But this is, again, it's all on the basis of what Jesus has secured for us, what he's already done for us. That's what leads to our behavior change. So here's the big idea. The basis of a changed life is what Jesus has done for us. That's what leads to behavior change. That's what leads to behavior change. Don't, it's not just try harder to become someone I'm not. It's rejoice in what God has already done for you in Christ. And reflect on that. Meditate on that. Go back to that. That your mind is actually renewed. That you realize what's been done for you. And then move out in that. And friends, wouldn't it be awesome if we did that? Like, don't we want to be in, a rela- in relationships with and in a community with people who are living in line with who we are in Christ, what he's done for us? I mean, think about it. Think about the community, the rich, life-giving relationships that would come from that, where we are genuine and we're not fake, where we are quick to forgive when wronged and we're kind and we're compassionate, and where we don't use each other, but we are generous with each other, and where we build each other up with our words instead of tearing people down. Who doesn't want to be a part of a community like that? Friends, that's the change Jesus brings. That's what he wants for us. And because of what he has done for us, that's possible. That's possible. And we at Midtown Church, we can experience that. Go to him. See what he's done for you. And then move from there with him. Let's pray. Father God, keep teaching us this. I just know personally I, I I can go from 
ignoring what you say or ignoring how you call me to live. And then I can go to the opposite extreme where, where I just am trying so hard in my own power to, 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 to change. God, would you show us that there, there's this third way where what Jesus has done for us has already changed us. And Lord, will you then work within us through that to help us become who we already are, that our behaviors would align with who he has made us. And God, that we would go to him and see what he's done for us, and then that would be how you align our lives to match our true identity. God, will you change us in light of how you have already changed us in Christ? That we as a church would really experience deep, rich community like you've made possible, Christ. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.